Amen. That was such a blessing. I haven't heard that song before, but that was a good one. Good way to start our Sunday morning. And uh, I thank you for praying for our church because we need it. And uh, we need to hear the word of God this morning and keep continuing to pray for Pastor. Uh, as uh, Caleb mentioned, that he is quite unwell today. So that's why you have me, unfortunately. I'm sorry about that. If you came to hear Pastor Hernan, then come back next week. Um, but please do continue to pray for him. Uh, I, I, I'll get you to turn somewhere. How about that? Let's start in the Bible, hey? Let's, let's turn to uh, Luke 13. Luke 13. Let's start there. Um, but while you're turning there, I uh, came back from a holiday with my family uh, and uh, Danny and Jen's family in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we had a great time there in Queenstown. It was actually a really beautiful place. If you haven't been there, I do suggest going there. It's a very beautiful place. And I discovered two things while we were there. And you might have already discovered these things, but these things stuck out to me like a sore thumb, that you can have the most amazing scenery around you and uh, you can take the best photos with uh, the scenery that you have, and look, I have an I have an iPhone. I don't have a fancy camera like the uh, the Davy family, um, but you can take the best photos of those that that nice scenery. But it still doesn't do it justice. You actually have to see it with your own two eyes. I'm standing on top of this you know this mountain where you can go skiing, and like on the peak, and I'm taking photos, but I'm actually making sure that I take it in through my eyes so I can remember that view. And I show, the, I show people those photos and I'm like, nah, it doesn't really do it any justice. It's just another mountain. Um, so I learned that, that you should like take things in through your eyes and not rely, rely on taking photos all the time, which is what I taught my girls to do. Um, the other thing I realised is very similar, is that live streaming church is not a substitute for real church. It's good and I'm glad that we have the capability to do it. Uh, I'm glad that you know, if you're sick, you're unwell, you can do that. Uh, or like we did, we're away and we, we wanted to stream into our church and to, to hear our young adults preach that night and, and the seniors and all that. Um, but it's not a substitute for real church. church, not the building, but the people. And I just, I do feel sorry if, if, if someone is out there and their whole life is, is live stream church. It's just not the same and that's not what God intended. So I felt that, um, but that's a good thing because it means I had something to come back to that I really enjoyed being a part of, and that's, that's you, that's the church. Um, so it's okay to live stream, just stay in church, like be in an actual church. That's another thing that I learned, and that's got nothing to do with the message this morning. So I just wanted to share those two things. Oh, and if you didn't realise, um, Michael David Arson and I are not the same person like you might have seen on the screen. So apologise for that. Um, it's not April, but it could have been an April Fool's joke. Um, let's go look at Luke 13 here. And why don't I pray before we read a few verses, um, and then we'll get stuck into what the Lord has for us today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, thank you, Father, that we get to come and gather together uh, as a physical body, Lord God. We thank you that you have given this to us. We thank you that you've given us your word that we can learn and glean from. Lord, I do thank you for our pastor and for his family uh, Father, we just want to lift him up to you now and ask that you'd please guide him, direct him, and uh, heal him, Lord God. Uh, you know everything that he's facing now. We just pray that you would comfort him through your Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, give him the energy that he needs, give him the rest that he needs, Lord God. And uh, Father, also help us today uh, as we gather around your word and around one another. 
Uh, please be glorified in all that we do and all that is said. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're in Luke 13, um, we're going to read just a couple of verses here, starting in verse 10. And if, this, if any of this message sounds familiar to you, it's because it is, because I got asked to preach this morning, so uh, this is something that I did quite a while ago, but uh, I'm sure we've all forgotten it because it was probably not really that great back then, but let's just see how we go. So Luke 13, uh, let's have a look in verse 10 down to verse 13, and might help if I was at Luke 10. So the Bible reads this in verse number 10. I'm in the wrong passage. I was at the right. See? This is what happens. It's my birthday today. No, I didn't say that so you say happy birthday. I don't even know why I said that. Um, This is my birthday present. All right. Luke 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed down to get bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And that might be a familiar passage to you about this lady having this infirmity for 18 years. Uh, But when I read this story or read read this actual happening that took place, I never would have thought it would make me think of uh, the nursery rhyme, Rockabye Baby. So when when I read this, that's what came to my mind. And, you know, maybe you've had this discussion in your household. We had it just the other day about um, different stories that are told, like Hansel and Gretel and stuff like that. Um, and nursery rhymes, they often come up and they sound nice, but they're actually quite morbid. And Rockabye Baby is just one of those things. Like, we sing it to put children to sleep. You know, you might have it, like, in a nursery or something like that, and, and we're singing these words, like, to try and get this child to rest, but you're actually talking about a baby up in a tree... And if the wind, bro- wind blows hard enough, that branch is going to break and that baby's going to come down and that'll probably be the end of it. And that's what we're trying to like, put our kids to sleep to. So uh, this, this story kind of made me think of that, that it sounds nice. It sounds really nice. Like Rockabye Baby sounds nice, but when you actually sit back and think about it and read it and go, hey, what is that actually saying? It's a little bit confronting. And this verse, or these verses here, are a little bit similar. This story of this lady who's had this infirmity and then she ends up being healed by Jesus, that sounds really nice, and it is. Like this lady was actually healed from something that was significantly hindering her for a very long time. And so if we just gloss over it, we go, oh yeah, Jesus went about healing people and he healed this lady. That's nice, keep moving forward. But it's not until you actually put yourself into the story that you go, hang on a minute, it, there's a little bit more to it than just, oh, that's nice. And so that's what I want to look at today, putting ourselves in the story and seeing how Jesus actually handled things and what he actually expected of people. So when you put yourself in the story, you can see that Jesus expected certain things and actually in this story with this woman that had the infirmity, how Jesus handled it, you could have thought that he was being quite blunt and quite harsh calling her to him. 
So this lady who's for 18 years been bowed down. Now, I don't know how far, but I'm assuming she's bowed down at least this far. For 18 years. Like, that's a lot of you, that's, that's your whole lifetime or at least half of your lifetime. And Jesus is asking her to come to him. And she's the one who's, you know, bowed over like this, probably very much in pain. And he's expecting her to make the journey to walk over to him. And so if you're an onlooker in that, and we're an onlooker by reading the scriptures, but if you're an onlooker in that actual day, you might be thinking, that's a bit much to expect. She, she's struggling and you're asking her to come over to you? Like, that's a bit much. Like, you could very clearly walk over to her and still have the same outcome happen. She could still be healed and, you know, and then we move on to the next thing. That's how I look at it. Like, hang on, why, why did Jesus call her to him? Why didn't he just walk over to her? Or Jesus, Jesus is Jesus, right? He's God. Even from here, he could do that miraculous work. He didn't have to call her over. And it's the same, it's very similar to the blind Bartimaeus that uh, Josh read earlier, that this man who's crying out and he's, he's actually asking for Jesus to help, but Jesus actually stops and says, hey, get him to come over here. So he's calling these people that have infirmities to actually make that journey over to him when quite clearly he could have actually done that work from where he was. Or he could have made that journey over to them. It says in verse 12, And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. So he literally said, Come over here. And with blind Bartimaeus, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. So it wouldn't take any effort for him to, do, to come. They'd have the same physical outcome if he went to them to be healed. And if we're not careful, we can generate a false perception of Jesus and how he works. Like the nursery rhyme, we can think it's a fairy, airy fairy that he just went about healing people because he could. And he had the power and he was right there. But the thing to notice is that Jesus never forced himself on anyone. And he still doesn't. Even though he's got the answer to everything... And right now there's a lot of people in this room and there's a lot of problems in this room. And he has the answer to every single one of those problems, but he's not going to force himself onto you to find the solution for that problem. He's got good reason for that too. And this is just having a look at how Jesus actually works. If you have a flick over to Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15 with me, This attitude of expectation of Jesus and of God in general uh, is found in Christianity. It's found amongst us. But it's also found very prolific, prolifically about, uh, through the unsaved, towards God, towards Christ, that he should come to me. That if God is who he said he is, then he should come to me. He should prove himself to me. If what you're telling me, co-worker that's a Christian, that this God can do all these things and has done all these things and he can fix my life, then he needs to prove himself to me. I shouldn't have to go on this journey of seeking and searching and finding out and all this trouble. If he is who he said he is, then why isn't he showing himself to me? And that's, a, that's an attitude that a lot of us can have, particularly the unsaved. 
And I've had conversations with people that way in workplaces. You know, if God is this, then he should prove himself to me. Why doesn't he just show himself to me? And that's not a new thought. This passage in Mark 15 is the account of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus on the cross. Have a look down in verse 29. Mark 15, verse 29. It says, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. So Jesus, who is on the cross because of human humanity's sin, the very reason that he's on the cross is for the people that are down below him. And they're saying, you come down here, prove yourself. Prove who you say you are, because you're saying you're the Christ, you're on the cross, it doesn't really look like you can actually save anyone, because you can't even save yourself, so prove it. Come down off the cross. You, God, come to me. That's basically the attitude that they were having. And a lot of unsaved people think this way. They want, to, they want Jesus to play by their rules. Well, unfortunately, they didn't make the universe. God made the universe. God is the creator. God is the one who sets the rules for this world and for us and for our relationship with him and everything in eternity. He sets the rules. So God doesn't have to play by our rules. So you can, you can say this to an unsaved person, but I'm also saying this to ourselves. That God is not held to our rules. We should be held to his rules and how he works. A lot of people live on a one-way street that Jesus has to come to their doorstep. And they're not going to accept it any other way. And, you know, we're actually going to have John Mackay come uh, not too long from now. And, you know, he's always said, creationist John Mackay, he's always said that you can have the same piece of evidence in front of you and it depends on your worldview, how you look at it, to how you interpret what that evidence says. And, you know, the creationist or the person who believes that God created the world will look at that fossil or that rock and say, well, clearly that shows that it's from Noah's flood. And the one who is the you know, evolutionist and doesn't accept that God is real and all that sort of stuff, they're going to look at that and go, well, clearly this shows millions of years. And so you can have all the evidence in the world, but all the evidence in the world is not always enough. And so God's economy is a little bit different to ours. And so Jesus could have said, the reason I'm not coming down from the cross is the same reason I didn't walk over to that infirmed lady. It's the same reason I didn't walk over to blind Bartimaeus. It's the same reason I didn't do a lot of things, because seeing is not believing. Because if that was the case, then everyone that physically saw Jesus would have been automatically healed by all of their infirmities. Their physical problems, their spiritual problems, their emotional problems, their financial problems, their relationship problems... Seeing is not believing. And that's what we have to remember. That's what the unsaved need to know, that you need to make the journey to come to Jesus and that exercises something called faith. You actually have to make that journey to him knowing that he is the one who can answer your problems, but your problems aren't just going to be solved because you're seeing God, because you're around God, because you're around the things of God. Your problems don't just get automatically solved like that. Luke 19.10, you don't have to turn there. Jesus said this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
God has already come to us through Jesus in the flesh. So people are saying, come down off the cross, prove yourself, and then, you know, hundreds and thousands of years later, we're saying, come to me, prove yourself to me. Well, Jesus has already come to mankind. He's already done that work. He doesn't have to do it again. But that catch cry is still the same of many people. You come to me. You prove yourself to me. But he's already done that. Jesus places the importance not on seeing him, but on coming to him. Because most people say seeing is believing, but Jesus says in John 6, 36, you also have seen me and believe not. Think about the 10 lepers that Jesus healed in Luke 17. How many of them were actually made whole spiritually? Only one. They were all healed physically of their infirmity, but only one of them was actually made whole spiritually. And that's what we all need. That's the answer to society. That's the answer to every problem that mankind has, is to be made whole spiritually. But only one of them was made whole spiritually, the one that came back to him, the one that exercised faith in God. The other nine were just thankful that they, you know, didn't have leprosy anymore. But one of them went, hang on a minute, He is God, and I need to thank him. I need to show my appreciation, and I'm actually showing that I believe in him, who he said he is. And that journey that he made back to Jesus showed his faith in Jesus. So Jesus didn't say, hey, come back here. He let let them decide whether they were going to come to him or not. Jesus didn't go, hey, come back here. He didn't chase them down. He's not chasing down mankind. He's not chasing down every unsaved person. He's not chasing down every church member. He's making the invitation to come to him, that we all need to come to him. Turn with me to Matthew 11, if you would, Matthew 11. Jesus makes the call for people to come to him. And you might say, yeah, he does make the call for the unsaved to come to him. That's true. But he makes the call for all people to come to him. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus speaking to a multitude says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is not just a call to the unsaved. That is not just a call to those who are not made whole spiritually because I know that probably majority of us here are made whole spiritually, that we are a Christian. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, but Jesus is making the call to you as well as the unsaved that he's the one that gives you rest. Jesus calls people that are struggling or burdened, which is everyone, to make the effort themselves to come to him. If you have grief, if you have weariness, if you're toiling, you're laboring, if you're heavy laden, you have burdens on you, you're, you know, they're cares, worries, concerns, anxieties, all of those things, whether they're physical or spiritual. Now, this has a context for the unsaved and the saved. And some unsaved can have an unrealistic expectation that they shouldn't have to do anything, that God should appear before them. Or even make excuses like those in the parable of the Great Supper. 
But we need to remember as Christians that it's our job to help them to understand that there's always has to be that element of faith involved. You cannot separate the element of faith and coming to Jesus. You cannot separate the element of faith and being made whole spiritually. It's not a quick fix. It's not a, you know, Jesus clicks his fingers or anything like that. It's a journey that you make to God, showing your faith in God. So faith has to be part of that. Just like the creationist who looks at that fossil, yeah, they can like write down all these different you know, theories about you know, Noah's flood and this one shows this, this and this, but you still have to have faith that God created the world in the first place. You still have to have faith that God actually sent the rain and the flood happened and that the whole world was overthrown by the water like the, the Bible says. You still have to have faith in that. The evidence itself is not enough. So the element of faith is, is critical in coming to Jesus. The element of faith, church, is critical in your problems being solved by God. Like I can stand here and say, God can solve your problems. And you can say, yes, he can. But it's not going to happen until you actually believe it. Not just like read it. Not just hear someone else say it. You actually have to believe it. And that's a heart matter. And we all have to show that our heart has faith in God to have these solutions taken care of. Even for the Christian, coming unto Jesus doesn't mean just being in close physical vicinity of good spiritual things. We can be surrounded by great spiritual things and great spiritual people. And look, I've been in this church for a while now and some have been in here for a lot longer than me and some a lot less than I have. But I've been in this church for, for quite a few years now and I know that being in church doesn't make you spiritual. Being in this place doesn't necessarily make you spiritual. Being part of a family that is Christian or Christ-like doesn't make you spiritual. Kids, being in youth group doesn't make you spiritual. Being in a Christian school doesn't make you spiritual. Being in a ministry of the church doesn't make you spiritual. Attending every single service doesn't make you spiritual. Sitting next to the most mature Christian doesn't make you spiritual. Reading the Bible every single day doesn't even make you spiritual. Being around those things does not make you spiritual, necessarily. So, yeah, we can think about, oh, yeah, you know, the unsaved, they need to make that journey to Jesus. They need to, like, you know, cast off the things that, that are concerning them and actually just give their life to, to God and have faith that he can heal them and help them and all that sort of stuff. But, church, we're in the same boat. We have to cast off, yeah, I go to church three times a week. Oh, I'm in this ministry I serve here, you know, and I, I talk to all the Christians a lot. We have to cast off all that and say, is that actually what makes me spiritual? Or is it me making the journey to Jesus through faith? Trusting that he can actually help me with that problem that I have. Because yes, the Bible says in the multitude of counsellors there's safety, so get around other Christians, be in church and hear the word of God preached, but it's the application and it's, it's the heart decision to actually trust Christ in that matter. 
So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh, don't worry about coming to church and don't worry about being around Christians. No, do all that. Just don't rely only on that. Many in the Bible were extremely close to Jesus but weren't partakers of what he could or did offer. And we know this. There's the woman with the issue of blood. People are thronging Jesus. He's moving through a crowd and everyone's just around him. He's, you know, he's like a famous person at this, at this time. Everyone's around him and touching him and yet they're not healed. It's the lady who said, I know he can help me and I'm going to exercise my faith by reaching out and touching the hem of his garment. So it's not just about being around spiritual activity. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily heal or help. If you turn to Luke 5, I'll show you another example here. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to have a look down in verse 17, Luke 5, verses 17 to 20. It says, And it came, it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, of bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Verse 17 says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. It was available. Jesus was there. There was other people there. His power was there. It was present to heal. It was ready to go. It's almost like there was an air of an atmosphere of Jesus' power in the room. But that didn't heal him. That didn't heal that man that was let down through the roof. Jesus said that he saw their faith. He saw their faith. That's what healed that man. That they knew that he could heal and they took action and that's what actually caused that man to be healed. So verse 20 tells us what God is looking for when he calls us to come to him. He's looking for faith. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Do you think Jesus saw more than just their faith? Yeah. He saw the multitude. He saw the breaking up of the ceiling. He saw the lowering down of this man. He saw all of that. But he saw more than that. He saw their faith. And that was the thing that had power to heal them. That was the thing that had power to change their circumstance. Hey, if you're sitting here today and you want a circumstance changed, then it's not just being in church that's going to change it. It's having faith that God actually is who he said he is and that he can change it and that he will change it if you ask him to change it. That's what it's going to take. That's what it takes for an unsaved person to be a child of God. But that's what it takes for a saved person to be closer to God. It's the same, it's the same thing. So wherever you sit today, whatever you're feeling today, it's the same thing. God's looking for faith. He's looking for you to make the journey to him. Because his power is present to heal today. 
His power is present to help today. His power is present this morning in this very room. We are gathered together and he says that he is with us when we gather together. His word is being opened. It's present. But what are we going to do with it? Are we actually going to exercise something to receive it? Or are we just going to expect that it's just going to like flood over us somehow? Or are we sitting here expecting, God, you show yourself to me. You prove yourself to me. There's all different things that we can be thinking and feeling, but the answer is exercising faith that God is who he said he is. And testing him. He says to prove him. Try it out. Don't sit there just sceptical. I'm not sure he can help me with this. Try it out. Make that journey. Come to Jesus. So the power of the Lord is present to give the Christian rest, but it takes more than just being a Christian to receive it. And I wonder what the disciples thought when Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labour. Did they think, that's not for us, that's for them. I wonder if they excluded themselves from what Jesus' call was, but he was actually talking to everyone, including the disciples. Hey, you guys, you can come to me too. Uh, I don't know about you, but like I said, I've been in this church for a little while and you can just get into a routine of, well, I go to church and this is, this is my spirituality, this is my Christianity. And many of you know, I've been working on staff in this church for a while too and I can fall into the pattern of, well, I don't just come to church, I work at the church. You know, and, and, and I open the Bible and I teach people and that's my Christianity. It is not my Christianity. And that's been a, a battle for me at times where I can just fall into this like routine of things. But you know what? That's not me coming to Jesus. That's me just fulfilling my job. <laughs> like you are. Like you go to work and you fulfill your job. Does that make you very spiritual just because you fulfill your job? No. It's actually giving things over to Christ and trusting in him that makes you spiritual, that makes you whole. So even the disciples were part of this, come unto me, all ye that labour. Turn to Mark 10, and I think this is the last place I'll get you to turn this morning. Mark 10. Again, a familiar passage, one that we've probably read many times before. Mark 10, verses 17 down to 21. A story of what we know as the rich young ruler. And we'll start at verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, that's Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honour thy father and mother. Verse 20, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. It's interesting that given the stories we've read just before about the woman 
that was infirmed for 18 years, bent over, blind Bartimaeus, etc., etc. There was other people that he called unto him. Interesting that in this verse 17, this man actually comes running to Jesus. He's like, no, no, this guy can help me. I'm running to this guy and I'm kneeling down and I'm asking him something. So his problem was not, oh, do you believe that Jesus can help you? He was already there. Jesus didn't have to go, come, come to me. It's like, come to, oh, you're already there. Like, that, that's what it was like. He was running to him. And the Bible doesn't exaggerate. It's not like he was just swiftly walking. He was running. He knew Jesus can help. He knew Jesus can heal. He believed that Jesus could do these things. He didn't need convincing. Verse 19 to 20, we see that Jesus has that he has come to Jesus and he's presenting, he's able to present all that he has. What does he have? Well, he has done all these things from his youth. He's honoured his father and mother. He hasn't committed adultery. He hasn't kill, killed. He hasn't done all these things. So he's coming to Jesus. He knows Jesus can help him. And he's saying, this is, all, this is what I have. He's presenting himself to Jesus. And so that's great because he's got all these things. However, Jesus states in verse 21 that he lacks one thing. And that one thing is putting God first. Because he says, you know, you're rich and you have all these things. And yes, you've done all these things correctly according to the law. But there's still one thing that you lack. And so he gives him this instruction. Take all you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and then come back to me and follow me. So he's identified in this man that, yes, although you, you know, even perhaps you are spiritual of sorts, perhaps you have got a lot of things together, and perhaps you do recognize that I can help, you have gotten close enough to me now that I can have a look at your inventory. Because you're showing me what you have, but I can see what you don't have. I can see what you lack. So you're all excited that you're coming to me and you, maybe you think you're better than all these other people. And hey, I'm coming to Jesus. He says, you know, come unto me. And you're excited to show what you have. Because yes, you want something good. You want eternal life. And whether you're unsaved or you're a Christian, you, you do want something from God. But when you come to Jesus, you know what happens? You get close enough. And Jesus knows before you get there. But just the illustration you see the whites of their eyes. You see their inventory. You see what they have. You see who they are and you see who they aren't. And that's what happens when you make that journey of coming to Jesus is you reveal yourself. You are honest. Uh, that takes a level of humility to do that. So when you, when you come down to this altar, even while you're walking down this aisle, if you ever do come down to this altar, you will often find that Something's happening in your heart as you're walking. You're, you're, you're being revealed unto God. Uh, things are unraveling. Things you probably tied up that you don't want anyone to know or you just don't want to deal with, it starts unraveling because when you come to God, he's the great revealer of your heart. The word of God is the great revealer of our hearts and our thoughts, the intents of our heart, it says. So this man came to Jesus wanting something from him, presenting what he had, but Jesus identified Yes, thank you for coming to me, 
but there's still something that you lack. There's still something that needs to be taken care of. And that's you and me this morning. The most mature Christian in the room still needs to come to Jesus, still needs to identify what you're lacking. Yes, identify what you have that's good. Keep working on that too. But you've got to identify what are you lacking? Are you lacking a trust in him? Uh, maybe there's, a, there's an attitude that you're displaying or something you're not displaying. Maybe there's something you're doing you shouldn't be doing or something you're not doing that you should be doing. But those things get revealed when you get closer to Jesus. And when you stop saying, you come to me and bless me and help me, and you start saying, I need to come to you. I need to make the journey to you. I'm sorry, Lord, I, I don't have it all together. I have this, but I don't have everything. And so Jesus calls people to him, come unto me for that very reason. Because as you start coming to him, you're being honest about your situation. So if you're here this morning and you say, I don't know Christ as Saviour. I don't know that I'm actually going to heaven when I die. I don't think he's made me whole spiritually because I've never asked him. And I know he doesn't force himself on me. Well, guess what? He's asking you to come to him and say, I don't have it all together. I'm not 100% sure how it all works, but I'm just being honest. That's when Jesus starts doing a work. That's when lives start changing. And Christian, same thing. We can act like we have it all together and we can come to church now and then and, or every, every single service, whatever it is, but until we actually say, I don't have it all together and my church attendance is not my spirituality, then nothing's going to change. So I'm preaching to all of us, myself included, that we need to make the journey to come to Jesus. We all do want something from him. And it's not bad. It's not wrong to want God to change something in your life or to help you with something. Don't, don't fall into that trap of, oh, I can never, it's never right to say I want something from God. Well, he's the one that can give it. He's the one that changes your life. He's the one that makes a change in your life. Yeah, it's fine to say you want something from him. Obviously, in context, in balance, if it glorifies him, all those sorts of things. But it's not going to happen until we make that journey to come to him. And we have to be humble to do that. The answer that you need, whether you're a Christian or not, is coming to Jesus. And God doesn't promise that it's easy. But what he does promise, he does go through with. And it is worth it. The power of God is present to help and to heal this morning. But humility and faith are the key factors in receiving that healing and that help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your goodness to us. I do thank you, Lord, that you have the answers to all of our problems, all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of the things that perhaps we're anxious about. Lord, I thank you that you have the solution to the unknowns in our life right now. And Father, whether we're a Christian, whether we're, we don't know you as Saviour, I thank you that the answer is actually coming to you. And Lord, it might sound harsh to some that you don't force yourself upon us, but Lord, without faith, it's impossible to please you. Help us as Christians this morning to exercise that faith. Help us to not make excuses as to, to what we already possess and to leave what we lack out of the conversation. But Lord, help us to be honest and humble before you.
to come before you and say, Lord, I need help with this thing or I do not have this thing and I need it. Help us to be honest about that, Lord. Now, Father, if there's anyone that does not know you as Saviour, I pray that you continue to work in their heart to help them, Lord, to see that you have proved yourself to humanity, that you have died on the cross for their sin. You have already come to mankind. It's now our turn to come to you. I pray you keep anyone from uh, hearing that message today. I pray you continue to work in their hearts, Lord, to draw them unto yourself. Lord, I thank you that you offer salvation. I thank you that you have the solution to man's sin. And Lord, you are a good God. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your word that teaches us these things. And Lord, that your word is consistent with what we see around us and what we know. Lord, you're a good God. We love you. We thank you. And we do ask and pray that you continue to be glorified in all that we do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.